If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly podcast, you will get the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, and baseball from HOL's Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Greg Peterson. Now, here's your host, HuskerOnline.com publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan here today with Nate Klaus and Dan Hoppen as uh, coming off the 4th of July holiday and most of the coaching staffs in America right now, guys, are on their vacations. We don't take a vacation though here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Um, but, you know, Nebraska did announce somewhat some interesting news yesterday and, and that's what we want to lead off uh, today's podcast with. Um, athletic director Sean Eichhorst came out with their full annual report of everything. And he also put out a special video uh, that you could watch. And, you know, the biggest announcements I thought were Eichhorst announced that Nebraska is officially going to go to a full four-year guaranteed scholarship, which will cover cost of attendance, uh, meaning full scholarship athletes. Um, so that's men's basketball, football, volleyball, and women's basketball um, I believe to start will receive $3,600 a year uh, for cost of attendance. Um, all students will also receive laptops, um, every student athlete at Nebraska. So that's, you know, so, uh, a great recruiting tool. And then um, any graduating or graduated letter winner uh, will receive help finding an internship, graduate school placement, or, you know, help uh, finding in, into a rod program. But uh, I'll start with you first, Nate, because, you know, you follow the recruiting closely. I mean, that four-year thing, I mean, is it really a big deal? Because in my opinion, there's still ways that you can get out of the scholarship with guys, but I guess it just sounds good on paper. Well, yeah, it sounds good on paper. And, and really, when you're walking into a living room of a recruit and sitting down with that, that prospect and his parents, uh, I think it sounds really good to, the, to them, too, to say, hey, look, uh, you know, if you come here – you know, it's this isn't a, a year by year basis. You know, you're covered for for four years guaranteed, uh, and this is this is what, everything that, that the scholarship covers. And because uh, some parents don't really know, you know, what what all that entails, what a scholarship is, or what a full ride really really means. So uh, I think that it uh, it definitely sounds good, and and it's kind of reassuring to uh, to everybody involved in the process. And I'll say this with Bo Pelini and his guys, they, they didn't run guys. I mean, and we saw that. I mean, I won't, I won't name guys because it's disrespectful, but there were probably at least 10 or more guys that never played a down of significance, and they were able to stick around for four years. So it, it's not like the previous staff at Nebraska didn't play by those rules. Well, this I, isn't, I, sorry, go ahead. It's man. not a Alabama or something where you you know constantly see guys uh, getting pushed out of the program, um, you know, and bringing new people in. Yeah, uh, you know, 
Pliny or, or whoever, I don't, I don't really know if you could say anybody has really had a problem of running guys out of the, out of the program. I think, you know, you look at a guy like a Zach Darlington. I mean, this is a guy who we didn't know if he was ever going to play football again when, when he was a senior mm, in high good, school. Good point. And he was airlifted off the – I mean, that was a case where Nebraska had no idea if he was ever going to play a down for him, if he would ever even play a practice, um, you know, just with his head injuries and things like that. But, you know, Nebraska said, hey, we're going to honor your scholarship. We're not going to pull this thing. I'm not going to throw shots at other schools and say that they wouldn't have done that. But – you know, because we don't know for sure, but we know that Nebraska did, and uh, and this is just something that you know, where they could renew it year to year before. Now it's kind of a four year deal. It does look a little bit better on paper. Now there are ways around it. And yeah, I'll go to the Johnny Stan situation. You can say, hey Johnny, you can stay at Nebraska, <laughs> but you won't be on the one hundred and five man roster. Uh-huh. Um, but hey, stay around. <laughs> you know, yeah. like most guys that are competitive, that want to play, are, are are going to obviously look elsewhere but there were guys the last you know seven years under the Pliny regime that hey they they took their check and they cashed it and, and were totally fine uh with not playing and so I I think you know that that's one thing that's one way around it I'll be curious like under volleyball because that, that's the one program at Nebraska where you do see a lot of quote-unquote maybe players ran out or lots of attrition with the roster um, if that will even affect them. But I think John Cook also spells it out. Hey, we're going to recruit a player better than you, and um, you know, you're not going to play. So um, th- th- there are ways around that when you tell a player that. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the, uh, the putting the writing on the wall, if that's what you want to call it, uh, is something that every, every coach can do, and, and it happens all the time. Uh, but, uh, you know, with this four-year deal, though, I think as a coach, you do have to be a little bit more uh, conscientious of, of how you're recruiting and, and the guys that you're taking because, um, you know, you, you want to take guys that, you're, you know, that are going to be in the program for four years. And if you're, you're going to take a guy, um, you want to make sure that, uh, that he's going to be performing to you at the level that, that you need uh, for four years. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus and Dan Hoppen as we're talking over just the major Husker storylines and news and notes of the week and um, something else that that happened this week. You know, the coaches are on vacation. It's the quote-unquote recruiting quiet period or dead period uh, where you can't have any prospects on campus. But there were three very good football players on campus yesterday uh, working out with wide receivers coach Keith Williams. Um, Washington Redskins receiver Ryan Grant, who played for Williams at Tulane, and then James Jones of the Oakland Raiders and also San Jose State uh, was here, as well as Kenny Bell. And they went through a wide receivers workout yesterday uh, with wide receivers coach Keith Williams and Nate, you know, that, that obviously can't hurt recruiting when Nebraska's trying to get a Keyshawn Johnson Jr. and some of these other big-name receivers um, when you're seeing these types of guys come around uh, to work out with the receivers coach at Nebraska. Yeah, there's a lot of high-level targets uh, that Keith Williams is in on, and for him to, to be able to, to say, yeah, I coached, I coached James Jones, I coached Ryan Grant, I coached X, Y, and Z player, um, yeah, that sounds good, but to, to say that, hey, these guys come back in the offseason multiple times a year to, to work out with me and to sharpen their skills before training camp starts, that speaks volumes, and, and that, was, uh, that was exciting to see um, that, uh, that those guys came back yesterday. Um, and, and it was also interesting, in my opinion to see that Kenny Bell was working out I with, agree. with uh with Keith Williams because maybe Kenny was one of the more outspoken players when the whole coaching change happened and um you know and he was very passionate about uh, about his relationship
relationship with uh, with Pelini and, and Coach Fisher and everything. But obviously, you know, he he uh, you know sees some value in working with Keith Williams, uh, you know, in, in this in this type of setting and, and as training camp approaches. Yeah, Kenny was very very loyal to that previous staff. Maybe is just about as loyal as anybody on the team. And you know, he didn't have any relationship with Keith Williams coming into this or. Or anything at least not that we know of so this is that's pretty cool I, I do think that that says a lot that Kenny's willing to come back and and he recognizes the value of getting a workout with an NFL coach a guy yeah. who can teach him some things three letters will bring people together NFL yep I mean, you get NFL guys and big names like that I think hopefully if you're smart um, that would that would uh, bring you on campus and finally guys um, the other storyline here uh, of the week of interest is the arrival status of linebacker Muhammad Berry, and he, he's somebody, Nate, that has been working on that last class. Um, you know, from all reports, everything went well. We talked to Muhammad in Atlanta at the satellite camp um, about a month ago or a few weeks back, and um, he was very optimistic. Um, he's expected to be here in Lincoln this week. Yeah, arriving on Friday, um, you know, I spoke with Eric Johnson, who's kind of been his mentor, uh, been, you know, one of his main trainers for the past four or five years. And uh, uh, he told me that uh, Muhammad has his plane tickets uh, purchased, is, will be in Lincoln on Friday. And really everything right now is in the hands of the NCAA Clearinghouse. He's, he's, Muhammad apparently has held up his end of the bargain, has taken this extra class and, and, you know, passed it with the grade that he needed to get. And now everything's being reviewed by the NCAA Clearinghouse. And um, you know we've we've seen this type of situation go a number of different ways in the past, but so you, you, you kind of you know nothing's done until until it's you know it's until it's final or until that season starts really. But uh, you know you're kind of keeping your fingers crossed and hoping the best for Muhammad Berry because he has uh, I mean he's a good kid and he's worked hard and, and like I said he's done everything that they've asked him to do here to to make it on campus and qualify. And Dan, you look at the linebacker situation for Nebraska with losing David Santos. It's hard to say you know where Muhammad Berry factors in I think Dedrick Young as a freshman has a big leg up right now um, but you look at high school film and, and what this guy does instinctively um, you would think he can have a good chance to get on the field if he comes in physically ready oh yeah you know this is a guy who I think you know if he would have you know maybe been able to come in a little bit sooner even like a Dedrick Young you know if he would have been able to be an early enrollee you know he'd, he'd have a great chance at early playing time and I still think he does just because of that you know that positional um, lack of depth that Nebraska has and especially at linebacker you know that's a that's a position where unfortunately guys you know they take a pounding they can get hurt there's going to be some guys who will miss time there and Muhammad Berry at least looks like a great prospect who if he can come in and and digest everything very quickly maybe he'll be able to have an instant impact at the very least on special teams special teams yeah all right guys when we come back we're going to shift our focus over to this adidas nike under armor talk a lot of big name schools that have been with adidas from the start are leaving should nebraska follow we'll give our thoughts on that next this is huskeronline.com your authority on nebraska athletics and we're back here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We're talking apparel deals now as it's somewhat interesting uh, as we bring back in Nate Klaus and Dan Hoppen. You, you look at the landscape of apparel partnerships and Nebraska, the history of their deal with Adidas. They were the first ever Adidas school um, for football. And this goes back to the 1995 season 
Um, when apparel deals in football were rare, and you know Nebraska had a partnership with Apex that started in '95. Apex went broke um, midway through the '95 season, and Adidas came in at that point and switched Nebraska in the middle of the year from Apex to Adidas. So those great Apex shirts, they were actually only wearing wore those for about six games. I think the Orange Bowl um, when they beat Miami, and then the first four or five games of the 95 season. Then Adidas has been the partner. Um, well, now you look at the landscape and several of these big name teams that have been with Adidas for years, Notre Dame left for Under Armour, Michigan just announced they have left for Nike. Tennessee has left Adidas for Nike. I mean, these were the anchor Adidas schools for football. And my question to both of you guys is, what are your thoughts on that? Does it matter? Um, does the apparel matter? Shouldn't Nebraska take maybe less money to go to an Under Armour or Nike or do they always have to look at the financial side of things and, and stick with the dollars and cents? I think everything in my opinion is driven by the bottom line and that's that's the dollars and cents parts part of everything and um, you know and it's not just football that you're talking about you're talking all sports rifle <laughs> yeah I mean you're talking everything uh, across the board so I think uh, you know you you know, if you're the person in, in, in position to make this decision, Sean Eichhorst and, and his uh, team, you know, you have to look at the financial side of everything. And, and not it's not strictly about, you know, what recruits like or what recruits are talking about or what other schools are doing what. I, I think it, it has to be about what can the apparel company do for you. And, and I think that's why Nebraska, for a large reason, has stayed with Adidas for a long time. Mm -hmm. it, it is kind of interesting, though, uh, in the Detroit Free Press that, you know, they have obviously had an article about Michigan switching over and and they state in the story that several um, of the school's players including Jabril Peppers you guys remember is a former five-star prospect Corner, yeah yeah have been openly campaigning for the school to switch to Nike over Adidas um, apparently Jim Harbaugh on his second day on the job went and talked to the athletic department and said I want Nike over Adidas so there's a ton of truth to what Nate is saying. And actually, I, I agree with Nate more than, you know, stuff like this. And I don't think it, you know, it probably shouldn't matter as much as it does. And like you said, Sean, football is not the only um, the only sport in play here. But for whatever reason, whether it's right or wrong, I do think, you know, it does matter to some extent. And when I think of Adidas, I think of three things, European, soccer, and 40-year-old golf gear. You know, and that's really <laughs> what their image has become. I mean, yeah. I, I'm 35 and yeah, you know, I might wear Adidas, but we work a lot around high school kids, Nate, and go to events. And Nike and Under Armour are far and away what the kids want. And that stuff does matter, unfortunately. I mean, the apparel you have, and even more so, Dan, in basketball. I mean, if you play oh, absolutely. for an AAU Nike team, odds are you're going to go to a Nike school. Yeah, but there's no doubt about it. I mean, um, especially you know just the more and more kids like to you know they pay more attention to this stuff and you know look at how they look when they play during games uh you know not only their jersey but the other accessories they wear whether it's an armband or a headband or their shoes or whatever it is i mean you do have to pay attention to that stuff it seems really trivial but for right or for wrong i think kids do pay attention to it you look good feel good look yeah good, exactly. look good play good and just to kind of put it into perspective, 
with all the teams that have left. Now, Nate, you said Arizona State had left Adidas, or they are they have they? I think there's conversations of, of them leaving Adidas, uh, from what I've heard. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's happened quite yet or not, but you know, there's a lot of talk about. They were Nike at one time. They were too. Nike at one time too. Yeah, you know, and, and going back to something that Dan said about you know uh, Jim Harbaugh going to to you know the second day on the job and talking about switching to to Nike. That's happened at Nebraska before. I remember when Bill Callahan got hired. You know, one of the first things he did was uh, you know try to try to see what uh, where they were at with that whole uh, with the contract with, that they had with Adidas because he wasn't necessarily all thrilled about being you know uh, you know sponsored by Adidas or covered by Adidas was wanting to switch to Nike um, you know and, and there is an image thing uh, involved but um, and it'll be interesting to see what other schools kind of jump ship here I know there was quite a reaction when uh, you know from recruits when Tennessee and, and Michigan made that jump. well and then Notre Dame obviously the big one last year but yeah, if Arizona State, technically they're still Adidas, but uh, UCLA is one of the big ones left. Uh, Texas A&M is Adidas, Louisville, Miami. And then they have Kansas and Indiana, and that's more for basketball. I mean, that's obviously mm-hmm. – they, they wear Adidas in football, but for Adidas that's a huge basketball deal. Um, but I know Kansas, I think, would probably like to be Nike for basketball from you know just gauging the net level of Nike teams versus Adidas teams out there. Um, Mississippi State, North Carolina State, uh, and Wisconsin – are the other power five. So it's, it's not a real impressive list. And unfortunately, I think it kind of just puts in perspective maybe where the Nebraska brand is right now. Nebraska, to get one of these heavyweight apparel deals, needs to, to win big in football. And that, that's that's the elephant in the room right now. If Nebraska maybe can win and, and do something the next two years when this contract comes up, maybe they will get a favorable offer from a Nike or an Under Armour. But the Board of Regents um, are not going to okay a deal um, for less money. No, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, just like uh, these schools or these apparel companies are kind of marketing, you know, their brand. Um, you know, I think Nebraska kind of has to do the same thing. They have to they have to become the sexy pick and, and win games and uh, become you know highly sought after and, and give them a reason to you know to, to pony up the cash and, and the you know the contract uh, to to you know to match some of these other schools and what they have. So yeah, the next couple of years are, are probably pretty big for Nebraska just in that regard. Dan, put the numbers in perspective. What Nebraska's 2013 deal was uh, with Adidas, maybe compared to what Notre Dame has gotten, and Michigan's deal is said to be bigger than Notre Dame's deal. Well, yeah, uh, in 2013, Nebraska signed a five-year, uh, $15.5 million um, extension with Adidas. Eight, about eight million of that comes in cash. Another 7.5 million in apparel and equipment. Then you look at Notre Dame. So, so, I mean, you're looking about, what, $5 million a year, a little over $5 million a year, 5.1, I guess. Notre Dame, with Under Armour, signed a 10-year, $90 million deal. So that's $9 million a year. Um, looking at this, uh, trying to find the number. Nebraska's would be only $3 million a year, right? Five years for 15. Oh, yeah, sorry. That's, I'm not a math major very clearly. Uh, but, yeah, and I think, you know, Michigan's deal, I don't know if It's supposed to be bigger than Notre Dame's. Yes, there. it's a 10-year agreement, but they haven't. I don't know if they've come out with a money uh, money amount yet, but I'm sure it'll be in that same neighborhood, if not higher. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Nate was just kind of talking about, um, you know, basically it comes down to winning. You know, if you're able to put the wins out on the field, that's when these, the, you know, these offers are going to come calling. 
I think you see that. I mean, you know, Michigan has not been a winning team over the last couple of years, but they're not getting this deal, I don't think, if Brady Hoke is still their coach. Harbaugh plays they, a they, difference. Yeah, they bring in Jim Harbaugh, and everybody gets excited again, and all of a sudden the Michigan brand has some real momentum, and then boom, they get this contract. You know, Mike Riley doesn't bring quite the big-name cachet that Jim Harbaugh does, obviously, but if he's able to put some wins out there and, you know, get Nebraska back in that Big Ten title conversation – yeah, then some more offers, I think, will um, will be put on the table, or maybe Adidas will up their offer a little bit. Yeah, Nebraska is probably in a good position now with Adidas. You know, it, it's a deal where they're losing teams, and they sure as heck don't want to lose Nebraska, so they can use that at the negotiating table to get more, which may make it hard to get a good deal. Uh, but I'm telling you what, if I'm an apparel shop in Nebraska, you know, think, think how much sales would increase in two, three years if they switch to a Nike or an Oh, Army. absolutely. Because everybody kind of has – I mean, I think my dad has about 15 different Adidas Nebraska polos. I think people kind of want a fresh look. And I, I can only imagine how much the sales would increase if Nebraska made a switch. There's no question about that. I mean, you look across the country, you know, anywhere in Nebraska or Lincoln especially, you, you know, you can go pretty much anywhere and, and uh, you know, and, and find uh, – nebraska adidas apparel but you know if you're if you're living out in la or you know living in, in dallas or you know wherever um across the country it can be kind of hard to find you know adidas apparel uh, you know adidas nebraska apparel as compared to you know nike apparel you know for all the other teams that are out there that nike sponsors yeah it's this is one of those things and it's funny we have a under armor deal with rivals and we have husker online shirts that are under armor and husker fans are always like where'd you get the husker online mm-hmm. under armor stuff because you don't see anything you know without adidas on it typically so that will be interesting. We've got time on the deal, though, so it, it, it's not like a deal where Nebraska is going to – Nothing's imminent. Yeah, they have two, three years before anything can happen, and I think we all agree it's going to come down to winning. And we come back here on the podcast, uh, we'll bring back in Dan Hoppen, um, and we'll talk more about an extensive story he wrote this past week on just the rise of walk-on defensive end Jack Gangwish. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Back here on the podcast, Sean Callahan now with Dan Hoppen as we shift back over to uh, the Husker football team to one of the players that's going to play a huge role this year, um, a senior walk-on defensive end, Jack Gangwish, who was put on scholarship a year ago. And if you were on the site this week, Dan Hoppen put together a very extensive story on just the path for Jack Gangwish and, you know, how this kid has gotten to where he's at from a middle linebacker walk on from Wood River, Nebraska to now a captain. I mean, he really is a throwback. And uh, we wanted to bring Dan on to talk more about this story. Uh, and you can still find it on the website on HuskerOnline.com. First of all, Dan, great job on the piece uh, on Jack Gangwish. Thanks, Sean. I, I really appreciate it. I mean, this is kind of one of those stories, though, where – you know, sometimes as a writer, you just have to get out of the way and let the guy tell the story himself. And when you've got a guy like Jack, who obviously has a great story, but he's also, he's a very good speaker. He's very well thought out. And, you know, you ask him sometimes just a really simple question and you can get a really deep, thoughtful answer. Uh, whenever you have an interview like that, it just makes your job as a writer that much easier. And you caught, caught up with his high school coaches and, and some other people, obviously current position coaches at Nebraska. I mean, what was the, the biggest takeaway you got from even digging back all the way to his high school coach? Well, I think just 
you know, the, the first thing that everyone wants to talk about is that relentless approach. I mean, went back and talked to his high school coach, uh, Derek Garfield from Wood River. He said the first time that they saw him at practice, that he was practicing like his hair was on fire. <laughs> or, uh, you know, talking to Jeremiah Searles, you know, the old Nebraska offensive tackle who had to go against the um, Gangwish uh, in practice when he was on the scout team. And he said, you know, the offensive lineman did not want to go against Jack Gangwish. They would try and avoid him in drills because they knew that this guy was just going to go so hard and make their job that much more difficult. So, you know, that that's kind of the thing that stood out. And I think that's what most people kind of identify with Jack, just that that personality where he's never going to give up. You know, he's he's probably not going to be the fastest guy in the field ever. He's probably not going to be the strongest guy, although he has made huge strength gains. But he's just going to, you know, outwork you and outwork you and, and see where that gets him. And really, when you look at his path, uh, so many guys at Nebraska have taken similar paths um, in the in the 80s and the 90s. I mean, in-state kids that you know weren't really developed all the way and didn't really receive that high-level coaching, but they had that work ethic. And you know that's what Tom Osborne saw years ago. Um, you know, with the walk-on program, bring these kids in that are going to make the four and the five star guys work harder. And um, I think for this new staff, and I think you might agree, tell me if you agree or disagree for them, uh, a guy like Jack Anguish kind of defines for them right away what the walk-on program is and, and why it's so important. Oh, absolutely. You know, that that's something where I don't know how much that that was emphasized at Oregon State. I don't know if that's something that they, you know, really cherished or anything, but it's, you know, it's something that I'm sure they heard about coming in, but this kind of gives them that, you know, that living example where it's like, here's a, here's a kid who's, he's going to start for you. He's going to play a huge role for you. And if not for the walk-on program, he wouldn't be available to you. So this, this walk-on thing, this is really valuable. You can get some really good players out of this, you know, some guys who are maybe able to slip through the cracks or some guys who are just late bloomers or or whatever the case may be. I think, you know, this is the kind of thing that Mike Riley and his staff can look at. And, you know, this kind of opens our eyes and say, hey, there are some valuable dudes out there who aren't getting the scholarship offer. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppin. We're talking Jack Gangwish and, and, and just the success of walk-ons here uh, the last few years. I mean, there have been many guys uh, that have climbed up the ranks. Um, and, you know, we're going to see a few more get put on scholarship this year. Uh, some of the attrition numbers have come out with – uh, players leaving and you know Nebraska is looking like they'll have probably three or four more uh, walk-ons and some of the other names I think you want to watch a guy like Dylan Utter he's going to probably have a, sh- a shot to start as a walk-on mm-hmm. um, you know and he's somebody I think that, that could get a scholarship and um, I, I think it's good for this staff though just to see that because um, you know when they first got here I don't know if they quite understood you know, why you'd put so much effort into trying to find a Jack Gangwish when, you know, you're trying to find other guys that you want to offer scholarships to. Well, I think, you know, that's probably the case at a lot of schools. I don't think, you know, a lot of schools probably value the walk-on program or have had as much success with the walk-on program as Nebraska has. So when, you know, new coaches come in, they're not entirely sure, you know, what they're taking a look at. But, you know, you, you said it when they have tangible examples like a Jack Gangwish or a Dylan Utter who, you know, has a very similar uh, mindset to Jack. Maybe he's a little bit more uh, down and dirty, but that same kind of, you know, workmanlike mentality. And you said it, he could very well start this year. When you have those tangible examples like that, that's just proof that this walk-on program is very important and it can be very productive. What's well, crazy, you think about two defensive ends – uh, Drew Rott came from Giltner, which is not that far away from Wood River. And nope. I mean, you could technically have had 
two, you know, class D, class C guys at Nebraska starting. I mean, because you would argue that uh, Drew Ott would maybe start over Greg McMullen or Gangwish's role might be diminished. But Mm -hmm. uh, I think it just shows you that there is talent in these guys. And, and, you know, I I go back last year, Dan, to watching Gangwish when he played for Randy Gregory. I think everybody thought this was going to be a huge drop-off. But um, I thought against Iowa and in the bowl game, he played outstanding in those two games against USC and you and know, Brandon Scherf, Scherf against well, Iowa, yeah, and a whoever, top ten pick, and whoever USC's left tackle is or right, you, you know yeah. that that guy. That's is a that, four or five star recruit. You yeah. know, you know that, and he, I thought he did an excellent job. But in some ways, he played with a lot more discipline and technique than Gregory was playing with at that point in the season. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I mean, that's just the total crazy thing for me is if you rewind twelve months and go back to this point last year, no one even knows the name Jack Gangwish. No one knows who this guy is. He's just some unknown walk-on who's never even seen the field before. Now we're talking about a starter and a captain and, you know, a guy that Nebraska is definitely going to depend on. And and you mentioned it, and, and Jack kind of talked about it in the article a little bit too. He said those first couple starts, you know, he had the – or n- not starts necessarily, but the first times he got to play, those butterflies were flying and he was, you know, thinking like crazy out there and stuff. But he said by the end of the year – you know, he was just out there doing his job again. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't trying to do too much. He wasn't overthinking on the field. He just felt comfortable. And I think you're just going to see more and more of that this fall. That's only going to help him. And you look at defense for walk-ons. I think defensive end might be the hardest position for a walk-on to contribute because you just don't see it. I mean, I've been covering the team close to 20 years, and there has not been a walk-on defensive lineman really uh, let alone defensive end, that have contributed. It, it's just a position where you can continue to find guys, junior college players, and bring them in. So, uh, number one, you, you've got to have a little bit of luck, I think, with guys not panning out or guys getting hurt. And, and, and Nebraska certainly had that. <laughs> and you got, you got to recruit poor, which Nebraska had, had some misses in recruiting. And mm-hmm. you got to stay around. And Jack Gangwish did all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you talk about some of that luck maybe on Gangwish's part. Will Gregory leave an early – uh, Avery Moss, unfortunately, being dismissed from the team. I mean, those are two guys where if they're still on the team this year, you know, Jack probably isn't going to play a whole lot if he plays at all. But he he stuck it through, and you know, you you talk about how tough it is to maybe make an impact as a walk on defensive end. I think it's tough because you know it's so it's so difficult to find guys with that size speed combination for a position. And he doesn't really have the height. No, he's six foot two. So I mean, you know, he's not terrible, but yeah, you like those defensive ends to be more like a Randy Gregory, where they're six four, six five, six six. But Jack's a guy who, he as a as a high school, I mean, he was like two hundred fifteen pounds, and he's up to two sixty five now. That that's just hard work right there. I mean, that's that's him getting in the weight room and the coaches having to come and kick him out. I think, you know, that's maybe why you don't see so many walk on succeed at that position is because it's very difficult to be able to transform your body into something like that and not that other guys don't have the work ethic of Jack Gangwish but you don't see a ton that do well Dan great work on the story if you haven't read it log on to huskeronline.com and and make sure you read the very extensive report uh, Dan Hoppen put together here on Jack Gangwish thanks a lot John appreciate it we come back here on the program we'll shift back over and talk some recruiting as Nate Klaus will give us kind of a state of the class on offense and defense You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
Back here on the podcast, Sean Callahan now with Nate Klaus. As we're going to give our state of the Nebraska recruiting class. They're kind of at the midway point, and Nebraska sits with 12 commits, and the coaches are on a little bit of a break here, as nationally everybody is. Um, no coaches can host prospects at this point. Uh, interaction and contact are very limited, and it's a rule, Nate, they've put in uh, to kind of give the coaches at least two weeks of "Quote unquote family time," where you know you don't have to worry about being in the office twenty four seven. There are no camps uh, during this period of time. There are no uh, unofficial visits or anything. So uh, it, it is kind of a, a built in period for the coaches to to actually be able to take a step away and you know actually spend some time with their family or, or do something unrelated with football and, and not constantly feel like they're losing a step you know. Uh, with someone else. Now they do, you know, still write letters and communicate uh, with recruits via social media and all that type of stuff. But um, no players are visiting on campus, and and it is kind of nice. Uh, uh, it's nice for the coaches to be able to to take a little bit of a breather before the season gears up. Let's start with the offense. So you look at where things are at, and and we can all agree this is going to be a full boat. I mean, at least twenty five and. Maybe even more. I mean, you could see 27, 28 guys, um, depending on the rules and the numbers for Nebraska. But Nebraska has six offensive commits, two quarterbacks, one running back, two offensive linemen, and, and one tight end. And um, you look at the needs, Nate, and I think obviously offensive line is still um, coming together. But that's probably – you know, you look at where things are at. That's the one position where they need more bodies. Absolutely. Offensive line, that's the key spot right now on, on the offense, uh, on the offensive side of things. I think especially offensive tackle, um, you know, they need to land two stellar offensive tackles, in my opinion, in this class to go along with the interior guys that they already have and Brian Brokop and, and John Raritan. You know, I think John Raritan, you know, uh, projects more of a more of a center. He could play guard, but I think he'd be a tremendous center. Brian Brokop. Uh, is a guard uh, and I think they'll take at least you know three more offensive linemen in this class giving them five uh, maybe one more if they find the right guy but uh, definitely out of the three more that they'll take for sure uh, they'd like to be you know at least two of them offensive tackles and Bo Wilson out of Kansas City and then obviously Matt Farniak. I mean, ideally those would be the two front-running names to, to fill two of those spots. Yeah, those are those are the two guys that at this point in time, I think you know Nebraska fans could feel most comfortable about. I think they've done a great job uh, recruiting Farniak. Um, you know, he's going to be taking all five of his visits, so he won't be making a decision maybe as soon as uh, Nebraska coaches or as soon as Nebraska fans that follow recruiting would like. But uh, at the same time, I think it's safe to say that they're the leader for him right now. And I think Nebraska did, has done a tremendous job recruiting Bo Wilson, who, who uh, maybe his measurables don't jump off the jump off the page uh, at you. But uh, you know, it's six two, six three, three hundred pounds. Uh, you turn on the film, and this kid, he, I mean, he's a throwback, nasty offensive lineman. He likes to get dirty, um, and, uh, and he's tremendously athletic and, and very well coached too. So he'd be a great pickup at five hundred mile radius guy you know both Bo Wilson and Matt Farniak so uh, those are the two leaders 
leaders, I think. And then outside of that, you've got a handful of, of offensive tackles that I think, uh, you know, Coach Kavanaugh has done a great job of, of staying in touch with and, and keeping Nebraska's name in the mix. Uh, you've had Tremaine Ancrum visit from, from Georgia uh, and a handful of other guys that are either talking about visiting or, or uh, planning on taking official visits uh, from across the country too. And lots of connections uh, already to Matt Farniak with Nathan Gary from his high school. A couple teachers in that high school are Nebraska fans, but another Nebraska connection now to, to Matt Farniak, uh, Brian Maher, the father of former Husker kicker Brett Maher, um, also a member of our site on HuskerOnline.com, is now uh, the superintendent of Sioux Falls Public Schools. Uh, so you can bet Brian Maher is going to probably – Somewhere down the line, run into Matt Farniak and, and, and throw in his two cents to the uh, Farniak family. I, I was up in Sioux Falls this week, Nate, and uh, I saw Brian Maher on the news um, being introduced as the new superintendent up there. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I, I know Brian's a diehard recruiting guy, and I'm sure he'll somewhere down the line run into Matt Farniak. Well, and, and I'm sure Matt Farniak's hearing about Nebraska left and right up there in Sioux Falls. I know there's no shortage of, of Husker fans up there. And uh, you mentioned a, a number of connections, uh, you know, that uh, Farniak has with the program now. Now, with running back, Nebraska has one at this point. Do you see them exploring two at the uh, two running backs? I do think that there's a, a possibility that they explore two running backs. Uh, uh, Jeremy Lewis is a, a running back out of Oklahoma that, that could be taking an official visit to Nebraska here very soon, uh, you know, maybe as soon as uh, next week. And I think, you know, um, when, when you look at what they have in Afonso Thomas, uh, he's more of he's more of your your bigger guy, bigger back. Um, he's, he, he's a very physical runner. Uh, Jeremy Lewis is more of uh, he's more of a shifty scat back type uh, speed guy. Uh, so uh, contrasting styles, and if they can make the numbers work, and you mentioned it earlier that uh, there's a very li- high likelihood that this is going to be a full boat, maybe even uh, you know 27, 28 guys. They might have to get the lifeboat out. Yeah, add exactly. A few more bodies in there. So I think that they do explore the the uh, you know possibility of bringing in another running back and Jeremy Lewis out of Oklahoma very well could be that guy. And receiver, they don't have any commits right now, but um, you think in two to three. I mean, what are the numbers right now? I would for sure two to three, um, probably leaning more towards three total. Um, you know, in this class, I, I think that uh, you know, I think Keith Williams likes what he has on on campus, and I think there's a lot of uh, potential there. But uh, you know, he's going out and he's he's going out and trying to get the very best available, and and he's put his name, he's put Nebraska in the running with with a number of you know very highly recruited kids from across the country, and and I think that he's going to try and get the the three best guys that he can, not necessarily looking for um, you know a, a prototypical you know big bodied guy and. A, speed guy or you know kind of a slot receiver Um, but I think he's just going to go out and try to get the the you know the three very best guys that he can and if one happens to be a big body guy and one happens to be more of a a DeMornay personnel you know type that could work out of the slot and uh, uh, then then that's great but um, you know definitely you know I think this season this fall will really be big for for the wide receiver recruiting and I think a lot of those kids are kind of wanting to see what the offense looks like and waiting to kind of see uh, 
you know, how many, how many balls uh, could I, could I catch if I, you know, go to Nebraska, because they still have a lot of coaches from around the country in their ear about, um, you know, telling them, Hey, why don't you want to go to Nebraska and be a blocker uh, all the, you know, block on the perimeter all the time. You they know? can't ever shake that stigma. No, it, it's hard to overcome, but uh, I think uh, if there's anyone out there that could do it, I think Keith Williams is the guy. Well, from a nutrition standpoint too, Nebraska did lose two more this year and dry at Tolbert England iron. So, uh, that will all obviously add to those numbers. And uh, we come back, we will shift the focus over to the defensive side as we close the podcast. Nate Klaus will give us the state of the recruiting class on defense. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the HOL podcast, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus says, we move over now to defense, and uh, we're giving our state of the Husker recruiting class as we're kind of at the midway pole. Usually, classes are kind of broken down into two areas. You got the spring and summer camp area. Then things somewhat shut off during the season. And then obviously in December, you get that run. And Nebraska's sitting at 12 commits, six on offense, six on defense. We've already talked offense, Nate. Uh, looking now at the defense, uh, at the numbers, one defensive end, three linebackers one cornerback, and then one defensive athlete in JoJo Doman, who probably projects as a strong safety, could play linebacker, but uh, for now, um, he will start out as a strong safety. And uh, what jumps out to you right now on defense when you look at maybe needs and where things are at? Well, first of all, I think Nebraska's done a great job, you know, recruiting uh, at the linebacker position, a tremendous job recruiting there, which was probably the the biggest or the weakest link, um, you know, on the entire team when, when this staff arrived. So they've done a great job there. Um, you know, defensive end is in defensive tackle are probably the two positions where, um, you know, if you're going to, you're going to kind of worry about things or, or wring your hands a little bit, uh, you know, that's probably, you know, the, the area that you're going to look. Um, you know, one commit uh, out of a defensive end, Ben Stilley out of Ashland Greenwood. Um, you know, great in-state prospect. Um, you know, pretty much everything that you're you're looking for in terms of you know uh, athletic ability, size, frame, and you know intangibles and everything like that. So, uh, but you still, I think they want to take uh, one to two more defensive ends in this class. And you know, with uh, with Xavier Kelly out of Wichita East, uh, just recently narrowing his list and not including Nebraska, I think that was a big blow. Um, you know, he's uh, he's a player that has a tremendous upside. And, and so, you know, and being so close to, to Lincoln, I think that, uh, you know, he was definitely a player that you wanted to you wanted to be able to, to at least be in the running for down to the very end. And uh, so I think that kind of hurt. But you know, adding two more defensive ends in this class, I think is crucial. And defensive tackle is going to be big too, because I tell you what, if, if Malik Collins, Vincent Valentine have the years that, that everyone they thinks. They could both be gone. Yeah, they could both be gone. So uh, now all of a sudden, um, you know, you're what looks to be a, a pretty well stacked position is, uh, you know, greatly depleted. And uh, now you're going to be relying on some, some incomers from last year's class, you know, Carlos Davis, Khalil uh, Davis, uh, to all of a sudden, uh, um, you know, step in and make an impact, you know, either as redshirt freshmen or as sophomores. So I think recruiting that position is, is key, um, you know, going forward. And then the secondary, uh, there's a ton of talent right there in the secondary at, at this point in time already on the team. And, and, and Brian Stewart is positioned himself well, I think, with a number. They're of, in good shape yeah, there. Yeah, they're in very good shape there. So uh, I think maybe one to two corners and, and maybe one more safety, um, you know, to go along with Dismuke and 
and uh, and possibly JoJo Doman working out at that strong safety spot, uh, you know, in this class. Yeah, defensive end, that, that's the one that jumps out to me. Um, Noah Fant could play there. He could play tight end. Um, you know, Ben Stilley could play tight end, but he'll start out at defensive end. So there are some options there, but just losing a guy like Xavier Kelly, a ready-made type guy in the 500-mile radius so close to Lincoln, that is a blow because there just aren't four-star players in this backyard very often at that position. And um, you, you would have liked to have seen Nebraska get another crack at him on campus, and it just wasn't meant to be. And um, I'll be curious kind of what direction they go, if they even have to maybe get some junior college defensive linemen uh, based on film uh, throughout this season. I'd be surprised if they didn't at least uh, entertain the possibility of bringing in a, a JUCO defensive end, um, you know, maybe getting pretty serious about that type of thing, you know, as the as the season gets underway. Usually those first three weeks, you know, the first three games of the season are, are pretty crucial uh, for, you know, um, coaches want to see, you know, what, what players have done in those first three weeks, see see the film that they've put together uh, over that point in time. So I'm sure I guarantee you that, that they've got a list of guys that are, that are kind of on the radar that they want to check out, you know, in, in mid-September or so. Um, but, you know, losing Xavier Kelly hurts, um, you know, but they have entered the picture with Carlo Kemp, you know, who's a four-star uh, defensive end out of Boulder, uh, Colorado, Fairview High School, uh, same high school as Kenny Bell. Um, you know, and, and they've they've jumped in the mix there. He's talked about wanting to take a visit. Amani Bledsoe uh, out of Lawrence, Kansas, is another four-star defensive end. Although I think he grows into a defensive tackle uh, that they're you know in the mix with. They've had him on campus. Now they do trail UCLA uh, in Oregon has also jumped in the mix there, which is crazy to see them come all the way to Kansas City. Yeah, it, yeah, it is pretty pretty nuts to see you know UCLA and Oregon travel you know halfway across the country to to get into the mix for. A guy now, like, they probably say that about Nebraska going out there, but you know they have more players. Well, yeah, they they probably flew over a couple kids that that are you know similar type players uh, to get to Amani Bledsoe just to you know to be recruiting him as as hard as they are. But um, you know, so Carlos Kemp and Amani Bledsoe all of a sudden become very important prospects. You know, right in the backyard of Nebraska, and you know maybe a, a guy to to really keep an eye out for uh, is Michael McDaniel, who was a defensive end and teammate of Muhammad Barry. Uh, coming out of uh, Grayson High School down in Loganville, uh, Georgia. Uh, he's a, a high three-star, low four-star type of guy, but has close to 40 offers, is a tremendous player. Uh, him and Muhammad Barry are extremely close friends. And, uh, you know, and if you're a, a Twitter conspiracist, uh, uh, you know, you watch their tweets back and forth. They're always talking about playing together on the next level. Michael McDaniel has listed uh, Nebraska consistently as his leader or as one of his leaders. Um, you know, and just the other day, um, you know, McDaniel tweeted to Muhammad Barry. He said, let's, uh, let's go get this uh, national championship. And the last I checked, Muhammad Barry was going to be playing for Nebraska. So uh, it was going to be Keep interesting. Keep your eyes on that. Yeah, going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Now, will this play a factor? You talk about going out and maybe seeing some guys during the season. Well, Nebraska, Nate, doesn't have a bye week until the week before the Colorado game. So their bye week is like November 20th. Um, which is really, really late in the year. Will that play a factor on maybe not being able to go out this year and see some junior college guys in person um, in maybe September? Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I mean, it, it certainly doesn't give you very many opportunities to be able to do that. Um, you know, there there might be times where, you know, depending on where you're playing, 
Um, you know, Thursday night. Yeah. You know, um, you know, some staff members in the past I know have, have stayed back or have gone to visit a couple of different places. Um, you know, and then, you know, while the rest of the staff members take care of, you know, game prep on, on Friday or whatever, or fly out Wednesday fly after out, practice, fly and out recruit midweek. Thursday, Friday and meet the team at the game site on Saturday. Exactly. So, I mean, there's a number of ways that, uh, that you can, you can kind of get creative and, and get around that. Um, it's and, tough this year though, which, yeah, which, and I'm sure Nebraska is going to do it, you know, seeing how these guys have operated thus far there, there seem to be, you know, thinking outside of the box and, and kind of doing whatever it takes to, to put themselves in position, uh, you know, to be, you know, to be in the mix with a lot of guys. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how they get creative with, uh, with and that's that. where private jets would come into play. Hopefully they'd have those at their disposal because you, you don't have the time where if you could have a private jet to fly in and out in the season on a Thursday or Friday to see a guy that that's huge. Well, especially if you're going down to, you know, Poplar, Mississippi, or, you know, Dodge city, Kansas. Um, that's a lot of car time. Yeah. That's not really a plane trip. I mean, you, you fly somewhere and drive far. Well, yeah, that's where, you know, you need a, a private plane to, to go into a, you know, a private air, airport down in those areas. So, um, you know, that, that's going to be huge. It'll be interesting. Well, thanks a lot, Nate, as uh, we put a spin on or a wrap on this, uh, breaking down the offense and defense where things stand. And that puts a wrap here on another edition of the HOL podcast. We'll be back again next week for another full show. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 